to the later verse, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, suggesting that this has formed something of a golden necklace. But I'm suggesting this evening that these first five verses, in particular verses two through five, forming one sentence, that they comprise a golden bracelet. That being accepted... We will go ahead and look at this golden bracelet. And we will be looking at it with charms attached. I don't know if any are old enough to remember, but I, I did see when I was trying to get my focus on it a little bit that it's making a resurgence, charm bracelets. And as best I can remember, which is getting less and less, but as best I can remember, uh, it's just a, a type of bracelet that has access to be able to put hang little charms or fobs or something, whatever they call them. I believe they are generally called charms. But I'm suggesting that what we have here with this golden bracelet, and we've been looking at it for several weeks, and we obviously have some wonderful features here, some wonderful doctrines we begin as far as David is concerned with the things that he's charging us not to forget. He begins with who forgiveth all thine iniquities. We have the, the doctrine of forgiveness of sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who forgives all iniquities and who heals all diseases, who redeems our lives from destruction, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, I'm suggesting that perhaps these are the hooks on this charm bracelet where these charms may be hung. And the next verses that comprise this Psalm 103, we can dig out a number of charms. Verse 6, for example, Jehovah executeth righteous acts and judgments for all that are oppressed. That's a charm that can be hung on this bracelet, I, I suggest. In the eighth verse, Jehovah is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Better to put that on a bracelet, perhaps, than on a magnet on a refrigerator. That's a glorious statement regarding God that's found in, in this psalm and, and would make a wonderful Charm, if you will. I hope you don't mind my using the term charm. Of course, I'm not using it the way that many people think of charms in regard to magic. That's not on my mind, especially not on my heart at all. But then there's, <clears throat> there's the verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward them that fear him. Those that fear him are his children. Other people don't fear him, not truly, not from love, not out of concern for dishonoring him, but these are his children. And he says, so great is his loving kindness. We looked at loving kindness last time. What a wonderful addition to this bracelet that would be. And just one more example, the 13th. Like as a father pitieth his children, so Jehovah pitieth them that fear him. His children that fear him. He pities them like as a father. 
How many of us have not thought about that probably at least once every day? That God, like as a father, pities his children, pities us because of his love for us. But I suggest that that these form something of these charms to be uh, connected to this golden bracelet that verses 2 through 5 form. These charms, I would go on to suggest, are the continuation of tender mercies. They are indeed in themselves expressions of God's tender mercy toward his people. He loves his people, expressed in that loving kindness, again, that we spoke of, and the tender mercies that flow to us because of that loving kindness. So I suggest that this is simply a continuation, an extension of those tender mercies, all these things that are contained as we're going to be looking through this psalm in the days ahead, these things that form all these wonderful Charms. David is speaking in this verse when he says, Who satisfieth thy desire? He satisfies our desires. And this is who David would call upon us not to forget this that he satisfies every desire that we have. And he says, The psalmist says elsewhere, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Open thy mouth wide. Ask what you need. Ask what you desire. I will fill it. I will hear. I will answer. I will satisfy thy desire. Open thy mouth wide. And I will fill it. We need to be calling on God. Continually. Letting him know. Yes I know the old saw. God already knows. But he has asked us to pray to him. He wants us to tell him what our needs are. He wants us to tell him what our wants are. Open our mouths wide. Circumstances change. We discover that every single day, do we not? Circumstances change. Attitudes change. Tastes change. Understandings change. We do not continue unchanged, but God is changeless. Our God changes not. He is the same yesterday today and forever. He doesn't change. But our needs, our desires change because we are so mutable. And he wants us to let us, let him know what we want. One writer said, you shall have what you desire and be satisfied. Paraphrasing God's language, you shall have what you desire and be satisfied. It will be enough And you will think it to be so. That's important, isn't it? How often we may have enough, but we may not think that we have enough. But God will satisfy us. He will give us what we need. He will give us our desires. New hearts, especially. New hearts desire new things. Good hearts, that is new hearts. Good hearts Desire these good things of which David speaks here. This word for desire, as I've suggested already, in the margin of my Bible at any rate, it says, in place of thy desire, it could be thy years or thy prime or thine ornament. 
Literally, in the Hebrew, it is ornament. And I think we have to struggle and try to make the connection between that and these new hearts and these good hearts and these good things and these desires. Ornaments are for display, are they not? We use ornaments. Some of us use ornaments uh, at least one time a year. And some of us, quite often, uh, we have ornaments. We have trim around our house. <coughs> uh, just a little thing on the, on the outside wall of the house saying welcome. But we have ornaments. And, and we wear different clothing. And we wear different kinds of ornaments that, that attest somewhat to what we are and so on. And I think that the word here is, is pretty much in that sense that thy ornaments, he satisfy thy ornaments with good things. In other words, he will help us to look to be what we are. But I don't think we can take that all that literally as far as ornaments are concerned. It's something of a metaphor for desires, for years. Our years, as the margin has said, thy prime, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle, David has said. We need to display our dependence upon God. We need to display that. That's what ornaments do. We need to display the needs of our years, the needs of our prime, so that our youth may be renewed like the eagles. New hearts desire new things. As I said, good hearts desire good things. I had something of a discussion quite a number of years ago. It had been within a a year or two after I was converted, which was in midlife. My wife and I were visiting uh, part of her family in Lansing, Michigan, uh, about 100 miles from our home at the time. And uh, I had never met her cousins. We were sitting, Barbara and I were sitting in this little gazebo out in the backyard just having a conversation with her cousin, a female cousin, Patty. And Patty was asking us about what we were doing and so on, and we were telling her about becoming Christians and about the church, uh, and she asked us what denomination, or I don't know if that's the word she used, but that was the inquiry. And we told her Baptists. And I've never been able to forget her response to that. She said, Baptist? She said, that means you can't do what you want. She had obviously a a fixed concept of what Baptists were. She said, you can't, that means you can't do what you want. And I told her, what I now want is to please God. And I can do that. Every time and any time. That's what I want. And I am able and willing and happy to do just what I want. That is what I want. The desire to come to Jesus Christ is given when one is made willing in the day of his power to come unto him. And the true believer The true believer keeps on coming to God through Jesus Christ because every day is the day of his power. He satisfies that desire with every good thing promised 
God satisfies that desire spoken of here with every good thing promised in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Has he not fulfilled that promise for each one of his children? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And again, open your mouth wide. I will fill it with good things. God has promised. He has given these promises. And he gives us our desires. And even when it seems that he doesn't, he's giving to us good things because he's chosen those things and he knows best what is good and what is good for us. And he gives us that. And how many times have we looked back when we wanted something or thought we wanted something and we were denied it and given something else. And we look back and say, it was the best for me. And how many times it would help us in our temporary dilemma to remember those occasions and to say, go ahead, God, give me what you want to give me because I know it'll be best. Here's what I'm thinking might be good, but you give me what is best. You give me what is best for your people, for your church. Open your mouth wide. He will fill with good things, with spiritual food, with the bread of life, with manna from heaven. He continues to do that. You will experience the blessings of the new birth as your youth is renewed like the eagle. Isn't that what the new birth is? Is renewal? is regeneration. And there's a sense in which when God regenerated our hearts, did we not mount up with wings as eagles? Did we not run and not be weary? Did we not walk and not faint? People talk about born-again Christians. Born-again Christians is a duplication of terms. There's no Christian, whatever, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, that is not born again. That defines a Christian, the new birth. This part of the psalm, David saying, forget not all his benefits who satisfieth thy desire with good things. I believe it's a call, implicit call to contentment, to be content with what God provides, to be content with our God. To be content in every way at all times. A call to contentment. What is the comparison, by the way, between contentment and satisfaction? Is there a difference between being content and being satisfied? We read in Proverbs 30, and I'm sure you've all heard this one time or another, but the wise man writes in Proverbs 37, 8 and 9, Two things have I asked of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. <clears throat> lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is Jehovah? Or lest I be poor and steal and use profanely the name of my God. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. How wise was the wise man. Give me what you know is best for me. He gave Job riches even twice. And he left poor Lazarus to be poor, begging at the rich man's gate. But he does all things well, does he not? Charles Spurgeon said very pithily, as he was wont to do, about this verse. He says, many a worldling is satiated, glutted beyond need, but not satisfied. Not satisfied. This necessarily speaks to the problem of murmuring and complaining, does it not? If, if we're not satisfied, then we're going to be murmuring. Even if we keep our mouth shut, we're going to be murmuring to ourselves if we're not satisfied. Many a worldling is satiated. He's filled, but he's not satisfied. He's filled, glutted beyond need, but not satisfied. Did you ever think about satisfaction in this country? It struck me as I was preparing this week. Why in the world? Why is there so much suicide in our land, in a land of plenty? I can't answer that, but it has something to do with not being satisfied. And yet people have everything around them that should satisfy. But this speaks of contentment, which is defined in dictionaries with happy with one's lot, satisfied. And satisfaction is defined as anything that brings pleasure or contentment. So you see the interchangeability. They evidently are virtually the same thing, synonymous. Again, Spurgeon nailed it. When he said, in connection with this psalm, bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He said, if we never cease to bless him till he ceases to bless us, our employment will be eternal. If we never cease to bless him until he ceases to bless us, our employment will be eternal. He speaks of David. He he says, He who sat moping with the owl in the last psalm. Here flies on high with the eagle. The Lord works marvelous changes in us. And we learn by such experiences to bless his holy name. To grow from a sparrow to an eagle. And leave the wilderness of the pelican to mount among the stars. Is enough to make any man cry. Bless Jehovah, O my soul. And all that is within me. He had a way with words. Obviously because he had a way with thoughts. Obviously because God had a hold of his heart. In Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, that familiar passage, the first two verses... Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money 
and without price. Now I know this is used as a gospel call so often, but is, does it need to be restricted to that? Is, is this not for believers? Is this not for the children of God? Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come, buy, eat. Yea, come. And then in the verse 2, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Be satisfied with God. Isn't that what he's saying? Be satisfied with God. Be satisfied with what God has ordained for you. This is not inculcating any kind of sitting around having your, your noonday siesta with your big sombrero in the corner or something. It's not suggesting any kind of sloth at all. We need to, we need to work and apply ourselves and so on in every way that we can. But we need to be depending and trusting God and depending on Him and being satisfied with what He has ordained, with what He gives. The psalmist is uttered in Psalm 107. In 107, in the ninth verse, he says, For He satisfieth the longing soul, and the hungry soul He filleth with good. What does that remind you of? Does that remind you of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the psalmist has said, he satisfieth the longing soul. And Christ said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Jehovah will guide thee continually, Isaiah wrote. These words of God in 58.11. He will guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in dry places. We could say even in dry places. Even when things look dry and it looks like uh, the entire outside of your dwelling is desert. If it's dry and it looks like there's nothing for you out there. He will satisfy you. Does that not imply strongly that if you make God your all in all, if he is your all in all, if your biggest desire, your greatest desire is to please him, to magnify his name, will your desire not be filled by trusting in him, by being satisfied with him? Even in dry places, he will satisfy your soul. And make strong your bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of waters whose waters fail not. God will never fail. He fails not. We're talking about godliness with contentment, I believe. Paul uttered in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great thing. Godliness with contentment is a thing to be desired and a thing to, to labor after, to be content with godliness. That's great gain. This is our God who satisfies. One has suggested, and I incline to this suggestion with regard to understanding what is intended by the desire. I mentioned the margin 
and the, the, thy years and, and thy prime and so on. But one writer suggested, who satisfieth thy advancing age with good things. I read that the editor in Calvin suggested that, and I incline toward that. Maybe it's because of advancing age. I don't know, but I incline toward that. I think that he's right, and I think that he's got a, a very excellent argument when he uh, speaks about being uh, renewed uh, like the eagle, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. It seems like that he's speaking almost directly to advancing age or old age. Advancing sounds better than old, right? Or, thou renewest thyself as an eagle, as thy youth. We read in Job, in Job chapter 33, we read this similar sentiment in 33 of Job in verses 23 through 25. 33, 23. If there be with him an angel, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man what is right for him, then God is gracious unto him and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom, his flesh. This is one of the results of that ransom. We spoke about that ransom a few weeks ago. His flesh shall be fresher than a child. He returneth to the days of his youth. I'm not talking about a fountain of youth. I'm talking about our God. And I'm talking about the youthful feeling that salvation, that regeneration engenders. I can't lift up as much as I used to lift. I can't run as fast as I used to run. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about feeling young before God. Because you're a new creature, a new creation, and you've been born anew. And there is a certain wonderful newness to that flesh being fresher. Flesh being fresher than in childhood, as we already looked at. But the change is not, is not the change um, by the renewing of the mind. It was mentioned this morning, even Romans 12, too by the renewing of the mind, wrought by the Holy Spirit, of course, when the mind is renewed. You know that when people, as they age, maybe you don't know it personally yet, but <clears throat> everyone has a parent or a grandparent, and, and we've witnessed when people just stop doing anything. They just age because they're not doing anything. They're not learning anything new. They're not seeking anything new. They're just sitting there, counting the days, you might say. Is that not a folly? Is that not failing to uh, try to renew the mind in some way? Even setting spiritual issues aside. Just sitting and wasting time. My father-in-law behaved like that. He worked like a dog until he retired at 53. 53, he retired. He didn't do anything. I don't know if you know what a rod buster is, but they carry all that 
that rod for concrete support. And uh, he lifted that stuff and tied that together, making concrete, uh, the forms, the frames, and all that. Heavy, heavy, heavy work. Climbing 20, 30 floors, 40 floors up many times. And then he stopped working altogether. And he didn't do anything to supplant that. And he lived another 10 years, maybe. Just withered away doing nothing. That's the thing I'm talking about. To the renewing in the world to come, like an eagle. Some suggest casting feathers yearly. A new grow up, a new growth of feathers. Not, not getting younger, but looking younger, maybe. Ornaments, looking younger. Refreshed. I'm not suggesting any kind of a mythological phoenix that burst into flames and is destroyed and then is resurrected some years later or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about renewing the mind, renewing our strength, renewing our youth, as it were, by using the mind, being transformed and our minds renewed, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our God. Behaving as one who in Christ Jesus has been resurrected with him. Satisfy thy ornaments, if we look at that, it being considered as ornaments. It seems the scriptures do reference a couple things that might be considered ornaments in the Proverbs I'm not going to turn there right now. 1631 and 2029 and other places speaking of the hoary head or the head covered with hoary hair, H-O-A-R, the hoary head, the old head. Sometimes by God's grace, people with hoary hair and the hoary head have accumulated wisdom. And many times in the scriptures we read about the younger generation consulting the hoary head. The hoary head could be considered an ornament of old age, could it not? There are indeed some of the satisfactions of old age, but primarily, what should these ornaments be? Godliness, holiness, the ornaments of old age in a child of God. And this strikes as a good parallel with this verse that we're looking at in Psalm 103. These ornaments, holiness, godliness, these ornaments that we should be hoping and praying that we demonstrate to the world, to our neighbors, to our family. Depending upon God. Depending on what we read in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it even unto the day of Jesus Christ. We're not dead yet. He who began, he began a good work in you. He will perfect it. This doesn't seem to be agreed upon by many who don't believe, of course, who don't believe that there's any resurrection. This perfection of itself suggests a, a, a grave contrast, no pun intended there, with Roman Catholicism teaching of afterlife. 
which is preferred, being satisfied with advancing age, with God's promise of being with him, or purgatory? Which sounds best? Which, which strikes you as the most satisfying? Rome teaches, quote, as no soul leaves this present existence in a fully and prepared state, really. We must suppose that there is an intermediate state, a realm of progressive development in which souls are prepared for the final judgment. That's their idea for purgatory, that there needs to be sanctification after death, that there needs to be preparation. And this circular reasoning is supported by their argument Prayers for the dead. That's what prayers for the dead are for. But what's the point of prayers for the dead? It's circular reasoning. And even worse, I think, in the Trent Catechism, infants, unless regenerated unto God through the grace of baptism, whether their parents be Christian or infidel, are born to eternal misery and perdition. How does that sound to you? as far as what David is talking about here, as far as what the rest of the Word of God is talking about, perfecting that which he began. Does that sound perfect? Unless unless baptized, they might as well say, because that's what they mean by regeneration. Baptized, regenerated unto God through the grace of baptism. Whether the parents be Christian or infidel, And this Romish doctrine was so horrible even to the Roman Catholic people and unacceptable that it was found necessary to invent a third realm, the Limbus Infantum, or what's known most generally as Limbo, to which unbaptized infants are sent. Would that satisfy anyone? Would that satisfy you that you're Infant who died in infancy is in this realm in which they are excluded from heaven but in which they suffer no positive pain. How satisfied is that? God satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the ego. How in the world does that work with this? And I, we may have each of us heard about the latest declaration of, our, of the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know if he's fessed up yet or not, but in an interview he claimed that there wasn't any hell. Seems like that he's more attuned to John Lennon than he is to the scriptures. Remember John Lennon's Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine. How is that going to satisfy anyone? I think John Lennon knows better now. The psalmist cries elsewhere in 71, Cast me not off in time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. 
Is the psalmist speaking here of the hoary head? Probably. Who satisfieth the hoary head with good things? Advancing age. Advancing age. Who satisfieth thy advancing age with good things? We're all advancing in age. Even if we're only 15, we're advancing in age. I would remind you, you don't have to be old and gray-headed or white-headed to be advancing in age. We're all advancing in age. Psalm 92, a few verses seem very appropriate. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of Jehovah. They shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and green to show that Jehovah is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Leave your old age to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thy truth. We thank thee, O Lord of God, that Christ himself has prayed for his people, sanctify them. By thy truth, thy word is truth. O Lord our God, grow us in grace and in knowledge we pray. Uphold us and may it always be said by us and of us, God is his rock. Christ is his rock. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Romans 12, 2. Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God.